Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for January 23rd. I'm your host, John McMinn. This week, we attended the 101st Annual American Farm Bureau Convention in Austin, Texas. We sat down with two of the event's workshop leaders to discuss the economics of farming and the science of gene editing for agriculture. We also talked to Arkansas Farm Bureau President Rich Hillman, who gave us his thoughts on the event and explained the importance of the policy development process that wrapped up on the final day of the convention. First, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Rob Anderson spoke to Kayla Jenkins, a food and agriculture consulting firm, Kayco Isom, who presented on managing profitability in the era of low net farm income. Jenkins discussed some of the tips and information she shared with farmers and ranchers in the audience. I'm with Kayla Jenkins. Uh, you are a senior associate with uh, is Keiko Isom. Yes. Now tell me a little bit about your background mm-hmm. and then uh, if you can give me kind of a summation of, I know it was a big topic, but what yeah. you talked about today. Uh, so a little bit about my, I grew up on a family livestock operation. I uh, have worked with our family to actually transition that operation into a hydroponic greenhouse over the last 10 okay. years because of demand changing. Mm-hmm. Um, so my work experience, I have actually been a grain buyer and an ag lender previously before coming to Keiko as a consultant for them. So my background is understanding the lending environments, what do we need to do for profitability, cash flow, uh, balance sheets, and how to really analyze those numbers for operators to understand um, and give them better buying power decisions. Uh, But also working with family operations to transition to the next generation. That's such a hot topic right now. So, um, and it's a lot of conversations that I used to have around the table between uh, lending and marketing, you know. fathers, uncles concerned about not really for sure if our next generation is able to deal with. So you're helping people with very hard conversations yes. and topics to talk about. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people joke that I am a therapist that knows numbers <laughs> without the without the degrees yeah. and the number uh, letters behind my yeah. name. So, yes. So talk a little bit about what you um, what you discussed here mm-hmm. today, some of the tips or mm-hmm you know, things to focus on yep. for, for farm families. So uh, profitability is the unicorn right now of the industry. How are we going to be profitable in a low income era? Um, when we take a look at what the income is uh, for the last couple of years, it shows based on the data that farmers have been profitable. However, um, I challenge that because when we take a look at what the government payments have been, especially the MFP payments, that's been able to help push some of those growers to be more profitable. But when we take it out and where we've seen, you know, Sonny Perdue and President Trump talk Mm -hmm. about how those are probably not going to be here for 2020, what does that do? And so unfortunately for a lot of operations, that may mean a non-profitable year. Um, So really thinking about what is the information that we have today? And a lot of it is the data that we have between our precision monitors or um, the platform tools that we may utilize like an ag world or granular conservice or something really utilizing those to understand the enterprise um, analysis for operations field by field um, herd by herd for some of the livestock operations as well but really digging down into the data Um, if we can make more objective decisions instead of emotional decisions we're going to be able to impact that bottom line today for producers a lot better than being reactive so it's all about being proactive and better decisions. Now, is that the challenge for a lot of the farmers and farm families is, 
moving past the emotion and, and gathering the best data that they can gather. I mean, as most of them I know are using a lot of technology and mm-hmm. uh, for efficiencies. But are they getting the data they need or are they paying attention to the right things? Um, so I think there's kind of a couple of things. Are they utilizing the data today that they have? Not 100%. Um, you will see a lot of times, and I saw this when I was grain buying, oh, yeah, we may have put out a, a hedge to arrive for, you know, 410. We right. get to 405, and we saw a lot of those move, or they canceled that hedge to arrive at that 410 because oh, I think it's going to go up. Well, that's great, but did we ever set a new hedge to arrive? Did it ever meet it there? If not, we may have missed a market, and it may have gone back down below $4. So that opportunity to market that that right there we missed that um so you know taking that emotion and that that's part of that emotional side of it is we think we're going to be able to hit the high so if we understand those budgets and those bottom lines we're going to have a better understanding of is it okay if i have 405 and in a market or you know do i need to also adjust my marketing plan to say okay i hit this 405 what if i go to 420 Mm -hmm. you're still getting 405 which is profitable for your operation And you've put out another hedge to do 420. So okay. um, thinking about it like that. Um, and the other part of your question about the, the tools that are out there, there's a lot. Um, it's just really trying to figure out how do we utilize the data and is it um, systems where they're integratable to one another? Because sure. that's the other thing is um, we analyzed about two years ago when um, and looking at a lot of the operations, they're in about three to five different technology platform tools right now. But the data is not all talking to one another. Um, so one of the things that we do with AgWorld is we integrate a lot of that between the accounting software, um, the John Deere planners case, anybody that's got their planner maps going out uh-huh. there and with AgWorld to bring it all back in. To one spot so that you're not in three programs you're in one program that's given you the sure. more well-informed decisions okay so if you had to say you know pull everything that you've talked about and mm-hmm. say okay the best piece of advice I can give uh, a farmer looking at 2020 it would be do this or think about this know your numbers and, mm-hmm. and that comes back to developing and putting down to paper what your budgets are so that you can track it quarterly to see am I hitting budget am I outside of that budget what's changed what do I need to look forward to for this next quarter Um, or what do I need to be concerned about because maybe that marketing plan needs to change and update but knowing your numbers today I think will help growers understand what that break-even is so they can make the the buying decisions the marketing decisions um, for their operation today so that would be my first start is, is knowing what those numbers are and officially putting them down on paper. Don't put them in your head. Put them on paper because you're going to hold yourself accountable. That's the other thing that we've got to start doing is holding ourselves accountable for those operations. And speaking to that, how do you, in addition to obviously putting it on paper mm-hmm. and tracking it, what are some other things they can do to make sure that they are hitting their goals or to 
you know, keep themselves accountable and make mm-hmm. sure that they're doing the things they need to do. It comes back to communication, mm-hmm. you know, talking with those within the operation who are um, kind of active within the marketing or, you know, looking at kind of tech coming back to take over. So maybe it's doing weekly meetings or a monthly meeting to say, hey, you know, okay, here's where we're at today. Um, being a little bit more transparent among those with management as well so that everybody understands, okay, operationally, we hit it this time. Um, but we, we didn't hit it here, so we need to kind of change. You know, is there another idea that you guys have for us? Could we do something different? But I think communication is going to be critical for okay. that. I'm going to wrap it up uh, with one thing that you mentioned at the beginning, which is the planning succession mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And obviously that's becoming more relevant for a lot of farm families, a lot of aging uh, farmers. How do, you, how do you propose to start that conversation? That is a very tough conversation because um, a lot of the young generation fear that the the current generation will think that we're trying to push them out, and that's yeah. that's not the case. What we're trying to do is plan for the inevitable in case that happens before we're ready for that time. So I think trying to sit down, engage. Okay, you know. We're not wanting to make a move directly today, but we need to start having the conversations about what are your goals to retire? Where do you see your role being at? Because, you know, this is what I would like to do um, and, and maybe working on because some of the other things that we notice is mom, dad, aunts, uncles, they may be doing a lot of the marketing, the lending decisions, and they've not brought in that next generation yet. Mm-hmm. So that next generation has a knowledge gap issue. They don't know how to communicate with those lenders. They don't know how to, to analyze the financials or really understand what that is about. So I think the more that we can communicate, but also just start to have it, sometimes it also helps to have a third party, uh, somebody else that can come in and navigate those hard conversations for, for growers. Because a therapist who knows numbers. A therapist who knows numbers. It's somewhat easier when you have an objective mindset to kind of look at it and help figure out where do the moving pieces need to go with this. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Next, Rob spoke to Roxy Beck, Consumer Engagement Director at the Center for Food Integrity, about the promise and challenges of gene editing in agriculture. Beck described some of the ways scientists and farmers can help build public support for this technology and what's needed for it to meet its true potential. I'm here today with Roxy Beck uh, with the Center for Food Integrity. Uh, you had a you presented on gene editing. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, just a quick overview of what you talked about. It was about messaging for the most part around the topic of gene editing, but talk about that yeah. and why that's important. We have a phenomenal opportunity to reverse course on some of the challenges that we've gotten into with the way that we've talked about technology and how we leverage it in food and agriculture. Um, Oftentimes people think of GMOs and when we think about the way that the consumer, um, the sentiment has been and the reaction to this technology, we don't think of it as a positive story. Um, gene editing, can, you know, we've heard the, the topic, is this just GMO 2.0? And what we want to say is biotechnology is advancing and we want to be able to responsibly use all the tools that are available to us. 
So there is a, a just a phenomenal opportunity for us to talk about this technology in a way that not only reinforces what consumers are are interested in from the food supply, but also you know is technically sound. Um, so um, you know this technology has the opportunity to improve food in many ways, from a nutrition standpoint, from an elimination of allergen standpoint, um, but also on the production side, we can use fewer resources um, in production, whether that's water, um, you know, pesticides, nutrients like phosphorus, nitri nitrogen, etc. So we have an opportunity to improve land, air, um, water, as well as the food that comes from this technology. And you, you talked about tying it and, and, and explaining it in terms of human health yeah. uh, to, to a degree. So can you talk a little bit about that and the importance of highlighting how critical gene editing can be to eliminating some, some health issues for humans and then moving into the discussion of foods. Just as we're excited about gene editing in food production, um, the medical community is incredibly excited about the, the opportunity that this represents. Um, CRISPR technology can help solve for diseases like cancer and sickle cell anemia is one of the examples that we're very familiar with. Sickle cell targets um, primarily the African-American population. Um, it absolutely increases suffering throughout people's lives and lives tend to be very short. Um, it's a huge um, problem in terms of let me stop that. Mm -hmm. it, there's phenomenal opportunity for this to be helpful sure. for people who are absolutely suffering, so to solve for these medical conditions. That same technology that's being leveraged in human health then can also solve for disease issues within plants and animals mm -hmm. in the food system um, and in agriculture. So um, where we can prevent suffering, for example, there's a, a disease in the pig industry called PERS. Um, it's, a, it's a virus that um, creates sort of flu-like symptoms, but ultimately can result in death. And it does not allow animals to thrive. There's just a huge amount of suffering that comes with it. Right. And frankly, the farmers that we've talked to have said it's not only, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, an emotionally taxing sort of disease because you can't help these animals once mm -hmm. they have this. They just have to kind of suffer through it. So not only, you know, from a production standpoint, is it not good, but it's really hard for farmers who are animal lovers who right. don't want suffering on their farms. So the, the, the technology, gene editing, can actually go in and turn off this, um, this virus uh, mm -hmm. so, so that they are resistant to this virus. Ultimately, that does lots of things. One, you know, very importantly, it reduces that or the, the potential for this suffering and, and for any you know, implications that this disease brings. But also, it's a, it increases the food supply um, stability, right? We're not having animals that are you know, leading a great life and you know, they may have to be euthanized. So it, it reduces food waste. Um, it absolutely protects animals. And then there are environmental implications of what do you do when you have to euthanize animals. And you talk, you've done a lot of, or been involved in a lot of research around how this, how to communicate this topic. And what have you found that really registers with people? I mean, is it some of these issues we've just discussed, the health tie-ins and things like that? What What is most impactful? So importantly, we have to have credentialed people, real experts that are focused on this topic to be able to enter the conversation, but not just people who have the academic background or, right. um, you know, the training. It's got to be people who actually share the values of consumers. So people who would say, I have children or I have, you know, pets at home. I care yeah. about animals. I care about the environment. So people who, again, are, are very interested in not only the technology, but how it applies back to the things that are important to them in their life. Right. Farmers can absolutely be those credentialed individuals because all of those things I said are absolutely true of farmers. And people also want to hear from the, you know, the academics and people who specifically are researching these types of topics. 
Another key learning from the research is the value of analogies. Um, we have some opportunity to talk about this technology in a way that's familiar to consumers, um, but also isn't so simple that they can't believe it, that they feel like they're being talked down to. So that opportunity to really help them understand, it's complex. You know, these, yeah. these are scientifically complex things that people have dedicated their life to as scientists to figure out and right. to, to really solve for big challenges. But also, it's not unfamiliar from other things that we're used to in our world. So a couple of those analogies are actually um, like a house blueprint is one mm -hmm. that I think is really familiar to a lot of people. Right. Um, we, we all understand the role of the house blueprint. Um, we understand that you know you can make small changes. You might want to move those sconces from this wall to that wall. Uh, wall, excuse me. And ultimately, it's still a home. It just has a little bit different function once you make a little change. And that's right. the you know that's what gene editing does as well. It utilizes what's already within that blueprint that is yeah. the basics of you know, the human genome, that DNA, but you can make small changes that are going to improve um, you know, the function of, of that um, being. And what are you, some of the things that are kind of turn people off or um, I know you mentioned things like you know when you, you see products like a, an apple that doesn't brown or things that feel, have a feeling of something unnatural, is that something that, that makes people nervous and, and what are some things that, that when you're talking about these things that make people a little antsy. Yeah, anything that seems to be um, changing what happens in nature mm -hmm. start to make them a little bit nervous. So that one in particular, you know, if you're changing the fact that something right. should brown and now it doesn't, now I don't even know if it's fresh. Yeah. So now you're, you're changing in a way that I don't know if I can trust it because it doesn't do what it should naturally, right. you know, it would become accustomed to. Um, and I'll say, you know, the, the folks at Okanagan Specialty Foods that created the non-browning apple, um, what an incredible thing that they did. I mean, their um, founder said, wow, we know that obesity is going up. We know food waste is a huge issue. And by the way, we know how incredible apples are, just to basic health, yep. that, you know, apple in right. a piece of doctor way didn't come from nowhere. Um, and so as somebody interested in increasing nutrition, um, you know, and access to food for people who maybe aren't getting that, he thought, man, if we could do this, if we could turn off that enzyme and make yeah. it not react to oxygen in the way it does, how cool would it be for moms to be able to cut up those apples and send them in their kids' you know, lunchbox, yeah. the kid that just lost right. both two front teeth and can't bite into the whole apple? Yeah. How great would this be? Not only does it support his business, but ultimately it solves for a lot of other issues in terms of nutrition and food waste and you know just right. availability of nutrition. So there, there are so many things that have happened through the use of lots of different technologies that have been done for exactly the right reasons. But now we have that opportunity to communicate in a way that people can say, gosh, they are with us. They, the farmers, they, right. agriculture, who I'm disconnected from. And I don't know these people individually, but I generally feel positive about, about farmers. Now I know for sure they're with me and they're working towards the same goals that I have. And so is that kind of the next... Uh next frontier in, in, in messaging in terms of getting people used to if something like that, an apple that doesn't brown, which actually can be very useful in terms of food waste and feeding hungry people and making sure that, you know, that these apples, they last longer, they're better, they're easier for parents, kind of attacking that, how do you get past that? reaction, your gut yeah. reaction to that seems unnatural, seems wrong, how yeah. to talk about that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think first and foremost, like everything, we've got to help people understand that we're with them and what, mm -hmm. what challenge we were right. trying to solve. Here are the real things that we saw, and here was how we do that. And here's the simple thing that we've done. You know, we haven't added anything to right. it. We haven't sprayed it with anything. We haven't injected it. We simply... Right understand science and we were able to say this is the enzyme that causes browning what if we could just you know, make yeah. that enzyme not react 
How cool would that be? You've just tweaked what's already there. It's not, Absolutely. like you said, inserting something that isn't. Right, right. Okay. And that's that's exactly what gene editing does. It can edit. You know, it can take mm-hmm. a, a series of ATGCs and move them to a different spot right. to create, you know, the desired trait. Or it can take them out um, in a way that doesn't create, you know, this, this adverse effects. You, you also mentioned or you asked, you know, mm-hmm. are there other things that we need to avoid right. um, in terms of language and or, or some of the benefits maybe that we perceive as benefits that the consumer doesn't necessarily have the same opinion. Another um, phrase that we often hear in agriculture is, it's our job to feed the world. Right. Um, we've tested this message for several years now. Yeah. And yeah. what I would say is I want every farmer and everybody in agriculture to understand that it's such a noble cause. And I totally mm-hmm. understand where we're coming from and what we desire to have as an outcome with that statement. Right. We believe that is what we're doing. We're bringing yeah. nutrition to people so they can lead excellent lives and contribute to society. Um, when we say the words feed the world, consumers are not on our side. Um, some consumers believe we don't have that, that, that's not our job to feed the world. Other people, you know, we can help them figure out how to grow seeds, but it's yeah. not our job to do that for them. Okay. Um, some people think we have way too much food because we have an obesity epidemic. So it's not our job to bring what we have as our challenges in the Western world to the rest of the world. Um, they also believe that we don't have food food shortage issues. We don't need to feed them and create an abundance, any more food. We just need to leverage the food that we have already, and we just have a distribution <laughs> challenge. On and on and on with the ways right. that people react to that message of feed the world. So what I would say is remember that that can be your calling, and we can talk about that internally mm-hmm. within the industry because we know what it means. But when consumers hear that, they either don't believe it or they may even disagree with it. So we have to reframe it in a way that says, we are so happy and privileged to be doing the work that we're doing. And ultimately, again, we're trying to bring nourishment to our neighbors near and far in a way that they can lead a great, you know, productive life. So maybe localize that a little more to Absolutely. the mission of what you're, you're feeding everyone in your, right. in your state, your city, your town. Yeah, and, and I get that because, again, you may be able to debate all those things successfully, but you're spending a lot of time attacking all those different opinions that... Yeah. You know, for different reasons so yeah focus on the more positive yeah localized. and find a way to agree with people right. we in, in agriculture we are such a small community two percent of the population and yeah. that may be high you know in terms of yeah. some estimates but if we are two percent of the population it's really easy to feel like it's us versus them right and that's not true because we're all eaters we all are consumers of right. lots of products of lots of different industries. And we probably have some of the same skepticism and concern of other industries that are in agriculture right. because we don't know enough about them. So if we can take the time to understand that we have an opportunity to agree with people when they raise concerns with us and we don't have to defend every single thing in this right. industry, we can really move forward in really unique ways to say, you're right. There are so many choices when you go, you know, and look at the dairy case or when you go to choose eggs. You're right. It can be confusing because there's a lot there to choose from. You know, if you're interested in knowing what I choose or what's important to me, I'd love to tell you. But you're right. It it can be confusing. There's no harm in stating the fact that there are a lot of options and choice is a great, you know, message to bring in those conversations. Um, but if we say, no, you shouldn't be confused about that. And why are you concerned about that? And don't you know that all right. milk, right. because it came from a lactating beast, 
you know, yeah. has hormones in it naturally, you know, we're not going to win on the science alone. We have to understand what's driving that concern that brought the question to sure. us in the first place. And find those areas of similarity and connection. Bingo, yeah. bingo. Ask questions, listen without judgment, okay. which is so hard. Right. Because right. we are wired to make judgments about everything, every decision, every reaction, everything in the world. We're, we're, we're designed to do that quickly. But we have to set aside our judgments based on what people say. Ugh, they know nothing. Right? Right, right. They know what they've been exposed to, and now they're asking us. So we can either be frustrated with it, or we can see it as an opportunity to improve what they understand. So if we can listen without judgment, and then we can ask questions, not to interrogate them, not to, to embarrass them about how much they don't know, not to just simply educate them. Like, didn't you know, you said you don't want chemicals in food, and there you are drinking your caffeinated beverage. Right. Don't you know caffeine's? I'm not talking about right, right. saying caffeine is a chemical and questioning their intelligence. I'm sure. saying ask questions that are going to help them understand, help you understand sure. their worldview. Get yourself, you know, wearing their shoes or wearing their hat to right. understand what it is that's driving their concern in the first place. And I bet you will be, you will be, um, You'll be surprised, maybe even enlightened, that you hadn't ever considered the angle or the reason why they brought that concern to you. Once you go through that process of mm -hmm. listening, you know, again, without judgment and asking questions to invite more dialogue such that yeah. you can be as educated about their worldview as we wish they were educated about ours. Right. If we can get to that point, then ultimately we can share who we are and what's important to us and ultimately what we know and why we choose, you know, the technology or the, the production, you know, system yeah. that we have on our farm. But if we do, if we try to jump just simply to, here's the message I'm supposed to deliver, yeah. we miss the opportunity to figure out who they are and what's important to them. That's going to ultimately allow us to know what is the best answer for them that absolutely is authentic, you know, that's truthful, yep. but that's going to resonate with them best. All right. Well, thank you very much, Roxy Beck, Center for Food Integrity. Thanks for talking to us today. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Finally, Rob spoke to Arkansas Farm Bureau's Rich Hillman about his first American Farm Bureau convention since becoming Arkansas Farm Bureau president, what was accomplished in the convention, and what he's looking forward to in the coming year. We are here with Rich Hillman, president of Arkansas Farm Bureau. Rich, it has been a long day with a lot of things happening, a lot of moving parts. Tell us, tell us what's going on today, and then uh, we can talk a little bit about the convention as a whole. Well, first of all, I think... Uh, we, uh, I want to praise all of our voting delegates and the alternates uh, for doing a wonderful job for Arkansas. We had one of the best days as far as promoting Arkansas policy at American Farm Bureau, uh, probably one of the best days that I remember. Uh, and that is due to our, our leadership getting up and, and uh, uh, voicing our concerns and our wishes uh, to American Farm Bureau delegates uh, that that uh, thought the same way that we did. Uh, that didn't happen just by by uh, accident. It happened with hard work from our staff that put together and uh, got our information out to uh, all of our delegates. Uh, second of all, I want to say that that uh, you know this is the hundred and first annual convention. So we're starting a, uh, a second century, if you would, of American Farm Bureau. And uh, if anything that I come away from this convention is that we have some very complicated and complex issues that we're facing right now and we're facing in the future. Uh, American Farm Bureau along with Arkansas Farm Bureau, uh, our, our, our hard work, our dedication, 
to being an advocate for agriculture is so much more important now than it ever has been. Well, tell me, uh, you mentioned we had a lot of success today uh, with some of the policies that, that came up from our, our, ground, our grassroots work. Uh, what are some of the more important things that, that were discussed today and uh, important issues that you, you think made it, uh, made it to the final uh, well, we had, we had policies all over the table today. Uh, certainly some of the, the ones that, that stand out right now because we're ongoing. We had the President of the United States speak to us uh, uh, while we were here in Texas. And uh, certainly trade is, it seems to be on the forefront. We have a lot of issues with trade. Uh, we're making some traction from this time last year. Uh, the phase one part with, with China uh, has has been finalized. USMCA with our trading partners of Canada and Mexico, uh, that's been finalized. Um, Japan and the president has, has even said uh, others are, are coming soon. Uh, I think some of our policy that we strengthen our, our uh, trade negotiations and we strengthen our resolve uh, to, to have uh, compliance in our, our trade policies. And, and I think certainly uh, that is one of the biggest issues that I take away from what we we're doing today. Uh, and and we, had, we had issues from livestock to row crop to environmental. Uh, right. we, we were all over, and, and uh, certainly I think it was, a, again, a good day yeah. for uh, Arkansas. Well, and congratulations on being elected officially to the board of the American Farm Bureau Federation. A absolutely, yeah. and I think that's attributed to Arkansas as a state. Uh, they've always had great leadership. I'm following Randy Veach, who's done a wonderful job. Uh, but Arkansas is well thought of in the American Farm Bureau. And what, what does something like that mean to you, and what do you look forward to uh, to doing once you get started with that new role? Well, certainly an, it's an honor. And uh, Arkansas is one of the larger states in, in American Farm Bureau, and we need to be represented. And uh, sometimes representing Arkansas means making decisions uh, that is good not only for us but the rest of the country. And uh, certainly we have a, a, a lot of issues that are coming at us at 100 miles an hour. So it means a lot to be in that process of, of uh, taking on those problems. So symbolically, this is a wrapping up of a year of policy development and the beginning of a new year for American Farm Bureau for all farm bureaus. Uh, what what do you see as the big issues this year? Things we've already talked about, like trade. Uh, what else is? On uh, the radar? I think uh, uh, trade issues were one big thing. Uh, feral hogs was was mm -hmm. one of the other issues right. that were was brought to the forefront. Uh, I think the rest of the country. Uh, a lot of those states are having the same problems that we're having with feral hogs. That that, that was another big one. Uh, we talked about grain standards and right. the grading uh, that we've had some problems in some of our elevators. Uh, that was a contentious issue, but but our leadership uh, helped pass that right. that uh, policy. Uh, those are probably some of the top stuff that we've done. Yeah. Uh, milk. Uh, the oh, yeah, dairy was dairy, a big discussion. Dairy is always big. It's Dairy has has uh, encountered problems, it seems like, uh, for the last 20 years, and it's been especially tough uh, on our dairies in Arkansas. 
Um, I think that that uh, American Farm Bureau, our president, Zippy Duval, uh, who was a dairyman for many, many years, had the foresight of getting the group together early, uh, getting getting all the stakeholders in a room and saying, look, we, we have a knockdown drag out each and every year. Uh, let's maybe do some of that, that uh, uh, tentative work early. And they did. Uh, Arkansas was involved in that. They even, uh, all of the dairy folks met at 6 a.m. before our delegate session today. Uh, and it was well attended. I think over 80 members were, were at that, that meeting from all over the country. Uh, we still had uh, uh, meaty debate, uh, but I, I think uh, our folks, uh, our dairy folks, were, were somewhat pleased with where that, that, that ended up. All right. Well, thank you very much for, for talking to us. Appreciate your wrap-up. Uh, have a good trip home. Thank you. That's all for this week. Arkansas AgCast is back next Thursday with more news and views on agriculture and the natural state.